Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes in part from our members and Healthy in Utah. Wearing a mask and keeping a safe physical distance from others in public can help us protect each other and help local businesses and the economy. More at inutah.org healthy. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's a member drive special edition of the program today. And my special guest for the hour is Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books in Salt Lake City. We're also going to reach into the archives for parts of some of our favorite recent episodes of the program. We'll hear from uh, current and past Utah Poets Laureate, uh, Paisley Rectal and Catherine Coles, as they responded to the pandemic in April and September, respectively. And we're going to hear a segment from one of our uh, most popular recent interviews. Horse trainer and writer Ginger Gaffney talks about her memoir, Half Broke. And we're inviting you to pledge your support to UPR to ensure that Access Utah and other programs uh, continue uh, strong. Uh, here's how you do that. A couple of ways to reach us. Uh, well, the main way, let's uh, give this uh, upr.org. Um, uh, go online, upr.org. Uh, p- uh, press the uh, donate button and fill out the online form. And there's all sorts of thank you gifts there. And uh, and uh, great things happen, of course, when, when you uh, pledge your support. Take care of your membership. Uh, to keep us on track during the uh, fall member drive. Uh, Ken Sanders, uh, welcome back to the program. Appreciate you t- coming on. Good morning, Tom. It's always a pleasure. Happy uh, to be here. Always always a pleasure. Um, I, I think... Uh, I, I, I have to... I Sorry for interrupting. Yes. But I have to say this now. Given uh, the guests you're going to have, uh, the woman with the half-broke title, I can't resist saying, you know, there's a lot of us dealing with being half-broke during the pandemic. Uh, certainly true, yeah. Probably not the kind of broke she meant. <laughs> no, <laughs> but good segue, good segue. We're, we're, uh, uh, Sorry. We, we are dealing with, uh, you know, some financial difficulties along with the health problems and all the, all the tumult. Um, I, I, I th- curious, I, I think, uh, your business, beloved business in Salt Lake City, uh, how, how are things going? I, I think you were doing some crowdfunding and, and some other yes. things. How, how are things going? <laughs> You know, this pandemic is something, you know, it's the biggest one since World War One over a century ago. None of us lived through that one. It's, un- it's terra incognito. We're in the unknown. We've now been doing this for six months. I can't tell whether it's night or day, what time of the day or season or month it is. I've lost COVID has completely eaten my brain and my mm-hmm. sense of time. And we're all in this, this pandemic together, yet we don't seem to agree about anything. My business is lucky. We only lost half our business, Tom. Mm. I mean, that's devastating. Yeah. But, but as I learn what some industries, 100%, we will not know probably for six months to a year the devastation on small independent businesses in this state and all the others that are never coming back, restaurants, bars. I mean, they're not at, you know, mercantiles, bodegas. There's not a lot of indie bookstores in any given city these days anymore. But those of us that are left, we're all imperiled. And it's um, it's a hard thing to, to, to figure out. Um, for myself, we, after three months of being told to do it, and knowing nothing about it, my so-called brain trust and I, uh, they have the brain part. Um, <laughs> we 
did launch on Pioneer Day, July 24th, a GoFundMe for Ken Sanders Rare Books. It's still active, and you're welcome if you'd like to 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 donate to it. We we have been overwhelmed. We're on the verge of reaching one half of our lofty $250,000 goal. We've almost raised a $125,000. And I don't want to talk about me and my fundraiser anymore, but I want to talk about yours. I want to talk about the needs, what we're, we're facing an election right now, Tom, and I think it's more imperative than ever that all of us not only exercise our right to vote, but there's another way you vote. You vote with your pocketbook. You vote with your dollars or your dollar, if that's all you've got, and put your money into the things that you believe in. I think it's more critical than ever that if you like my bookstore, support it. Buy a gift certificate. Buy a a book. Donate to the GoFundMe. If you like Utah Public Radio, if you like UPR, donate to things you like. Donate to Tom and all of the wonderful programming and the voices that you and I give to our communities that wouldn't have a voice without us. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, we we do feel that uh, Public Radio provides a, a critical service, and we encourage you to become a member of Utah Public Radio at whatever level uh, uh, works for you. Just go to upr.org, upr.org. Oh, Ken, we're, we're going to hear from uh, some uh, two Utah Poets Laureate, uh, the current and one of the past ones, Paisley Rectal and... Uh, and Catherine Coles, uh, I understand yeah, you. They're you've... both terrific, absolutely terrific poets. Yeah, I yeah. Them both here in the store, and they're carrying on a fine, fine tradition of Utah poet laureates. Uh, you know that we've often talked about before on this show, going back to Logan's own Ken Brewer and Southern Utah's David Lee, the big poet, poet of Paraguna. Uh, I understand you have a, a, a poem or two. You, you could share I, with I us. do. I. I do you think we dare do it? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, it's a pandemic poem. Okay. So it's it's a little dark, Tom. I'm not sure this is a good poem for a fundraiser, okay. but it represents... <laughs> okay. I woke up 3 o'clock in the morning with a phrase in my head, a minotaur in my rearview mirror. And this is what I woke up and turned the light on and wrote down. Okay? Are you ready? Uh, ready. I've got a minotaur in my rearview mirror passing me on the right. Reflection of reality, I can no longer tell my wrongs from my rights. My thoughts are not nearly as dreadful as his driving, and I have no way to know if he has me in his sight. I may be down for the count, but I've still got some fight. I've got a minotaur in my rearview, and things don't exactly. The darker it gets, the more I see the light. I got a minotaur in my rear view at the center of the labyrinth. Therein lies my plight. If I can only find my way in by the dying of the light. But the minotaur in the rear view hides everything from my sight, and I can no longer tell my days from my nights. I want a second chance. What I need is second sight. And if my days are numbered, ditto for my nights. 
Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, 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 that <laughs> resonates. That resonates with me for sure. I, I, many, many in our audience, I'm sure, as well. Uh, I mean, yeah. It's uh, it, it, it's scary times out there for all of us, Tom. And again, I think we really need to make our dollars and our votes count. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, especially critical in these times, right? Yeah. Uh, the way to do that for it for UPR and for Access Utah is to go to our website, upr.org, upr.org, and uh, and we really appreciate you. If you've already taken care of that, uh, thank you so much. If you haven't, now is a perfect time. Uh, we'd love to to uh, have great good support during Access Utah uh, today. Oh, Ken Sanders, let's hear this first uh, segment. Uh, this is from April, so early in the in the pandemic, and. So I started reaching out to, to writers and poets, uh, you know, just kind of get a sense of w- how they're dealing with pandemic. It kind of help us process uh, things as well. And so I reached out to uh, Paisley Rechtal, um, who is the current Utah Poet Laureate, uh, teaches yep. at University of, uh, of Utah. So here's about uh, seven, eight minutes uh, from my conversation in April with Paisley Rechtal. How are you doing with the pandemic? Well... You know, uh, <laughs> I'm doing uh, probably as well as you can can do. Um, luckily, being a writer and being an only child has trained me for just exactly this moment, I think. So um, I'm used to being uh, alone and entertaining myself, and um, so it's 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 been okay that way. And I've luckily had a whole bunch of deadlines that I've had to meet, so the the quarantine has allowed me to really focus in on those and get those done. And there's no excuses now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, has, uh, imagine you're continuing or finishing up what you, what you had been writing. It has, uh, has the subject matter changed at all in, in, in your poetry or anything? Not so much. Um, I'm, uh, I was working on a book on cultural appropriation in literature, and I just turned that in and then to my editor, and I'm waiting to get the copy edits back. And um, then I was the guest editor for Best American Poetry 2020, which is coming out in September, so I was rewriting the introduction to that. And that I did actually have to go back and change um, from what my introduction originally was. I wrote the introduction in December, and then I got the copy edits back just this month, and I realized it just sounded so anachronistic that I had to rewrite it in light of um, in light of this virus. So, uh, you know, I guess in that sense it's changed me, but I haven't been writing a lot of poetry, to be honest. I've, I, I think... I think maybe like a lot of people, I'm still trying to process what's going on, so I don't actually feel like I can write poetry directly about my experience of it. Mm. That's interesting, uh, because the, I guess the popular conception would be you, as a poet, as a writer, you would process through writing, but you're not ready yet. Yeah, not really. I did write one poem very recently, actually. Um, I think it is, I mean, obviously it is very much um, inspired by this pandemic, but it's actually about... Joan of England in the 14th century. She was the daughter of um, Edward III, I think, and she was being um, sent uh, to the continent to go and marry uh, one of the princes of of Europe. Um, I think it was the Spanish prince, Pedro, and she died in 1348, the year of the Black Plague, and she died on her ship in Bordeaux, and so I wrote a poem from her perspective. Um, and and it's uh, it's in, it's very much a poem about confinement and not wanting to speculate about the future entirely because 
she doesn't want to admit to herself just what's going on outside her ship. So, mm. I mean, I think that's pretty much the closest I can get to my own experience, um, but that's about it. Yeah. Do, do, do you have that or something else you could read us? I do actually have that poem here. Yeah. Um, so I can read it, and it is very new, so um, um, <laughs> I don't know about some of the lines, but... So it's called Joan of England, Bordeaux, 1348. Riding skirts of silk and velvet, saddles, beds, a set of buttons, corsets of gold and a fur tippet green and red with rosy arbors. A world of beauty is locked up in these ships with her, dry dock now in Bordeaux. The sea glitters outside her window. No one's come to greet her. Servants should bring up wine and milk, lay out her silks, stroke smooth their crescents engrossed with gold, the pearl moon panels of her corset soon to be loosened by a husband's, not a maid's hand now. But she is alone. She is never alone. Always some courtier, priest or supplicant whining at her elbow. She stares at the dead-eyed sea and listens to the absent cries of harbor master and children, the silenced cart and mute fishermen. The sky is clear of smoke. Garbage ripens the August air. Why does no one come to lead her to the prince her father promised? Her father, who laughed once at her love of clothes, the roses she grew, and the little dog she taught to dance beside her feet. He thought the world was tethered only to power. Now stifling, alone, she knows the only power left is beauty. Should she believe in something else? Her cheeks are flushed. A strange tight knot has risen at her throat. Outside her window, masked figures scurry, an embroidery of birds wheeling above them. They look so much more magnificent out at sea. Why not trust beauty? She slips her betrothed's enamel face beneath her tongue to cool and fill herself with her father's promise that the world she loves and knows will last forever, that when she rides out to meet her future husband, She'll wear the velvet sewn with hearts and lift her hand, lift her veil, and he will see her then, clearly for himself. Will he think her beautiful when she raises up her face? Will he kiss her and clasp her hands? Will he hold her by the waist? I am not made of enamel, she thinks, in the cold sea below her buckles. How will he touch her when they meet? What names will he call? And will he lead her home? It's all that she can bear to wonder. Hmm. So that's that's the poem of Joan of England that I wrote, and um, she dies in Bordeaux, actually, and she is not sent home. She is cremated there with all of the dead. So this is a poem that takes place with her basically trapped on her ship and not knowing why, obviously, anyone is coming to get her and not being able to admit to herself what's happening on shore. So, you know. It's a happy poem. Happy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cheerful poem about you, the pandemic. <laughs> there, there you go. Well, inappropriate, right? So isolation and, and maybe uh, a bit of denial. I think we can yeah. we can relate to those themes. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think for me the toughest part, maybe for a lot of people, is not knowing what's going to happen and wanting to think about the future and then maybe not wanting to think about the future because... Um, you know, maybe the future is going to be great, and maybe maybe things will go back to a kind of normal, um, or maybe they're going to get even worse, and and no one knows. I and and I think there is a sort of denial sometimes, at least for me. So, um, 
And of course, you know, one of the lines that I wrote in the poem, you know, the world she loves and knows will last forever. I mean, I think that's something that we all want, right? The, the world that we find really comfortable and, and the world that we've grown to love and, and feel like we have a place in. And now that it's shifting, you know, what does that mean for us? I mean, is it gone forever or do we, do, does, it, does it continue in some way? And obviously, if it continues in some way, um, how do we change? And we don't know. Mm. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's hard, isn't it? Uh, holding that unknown. We, we do like certainty in some ways. I would prefer certainty right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> I would feel yeah. very much happier with certainty, yeah. <laughs> I wonder, uh, you know, as a writer, uh, writing, I imagine um, the actual doing of it is, is, is a lonely pursuit, right? But writing is, uh, is writing an, an act of reaching out? Is it, you know, there, there is connection desired there, isn't there? I think so. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think a lot of people now um, are turning more and more, obviously, to books, um, to literature, to poetry, because I think they're looking for that kind of connection, and they recognize that the, the voice of poetry, maybe more than almost any other kind of literary form, feels the most intimate. And so when we can't actually reach out and touch each other, I think we are longing for that kind of emotional intimacy that um, suggests um, that connection, that kind of touch. And, and poetry, I think, has been on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And that is a portion from my recent uh, interview with Paisley Rectal, uh, current uh, Utah Poet Laureate, teaches at University of Utah. And uh, we talked with her on the occasion of the release of uh, the, the, her latest project, Mapping Literary Utah, which is a, a great project. Previously, uh, in January of this year, we talked with her about uh, her contributions to a book called Indelible in the Hippocampus, Writings from the Me Too Movement, a wonderful uh, poet and writer. And we have with us um, on the line today for the hour, Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders Rare Books in uh, in Salt Lake City. So we heard there, uh, Ken, a, a poem, a recent poem from Paisley Rectal. It's always, always nice. She's absolutely right on with her comments about the immediacy of poetry. I think I've read it on your show before, so we won't repeat it. But Ken Brewer's The Introduction to Whale Song, his, his last song, of uh, his last book of poetry, of poems written as he was dying of pancreatic cancer. Uh, as grim as that sounds, it's, it's a book of love and hope. And in it, in an introduction to it, he makes that exact argument that poetry is here and now. We don't turn to novels or movies in times of immediate crises. We turn to poetry. And and Paisley is absolutely correct. It's because of the immediacy of of the language. Uh, do you have poets that you turn to uh, on a regular basis or, or maybe during these times? I, I do. Uh, one of my specialties has become is forced reading poetry to people that tell me, oh, I don't really like poetry. <laughs> what I always, Tom, what I always tell them is, that's because you never read any good poetry. Mm. Uh, we are involved up to our ears as we speak. Our friends at the Leonardo, who has basically been the, the Science and Art Museum, just a block away from my bookstore here, by the downtown library, has been closed through the pandemic, and, and their giant show on Pompeii is, is being created up never open again, and they're trying to figure out their way, and they've been kind enough to allow us to, uh, it's the 65th 
anniversary of Allen Ginsberg's Howl, Tom, and Alex Caldiero, our local sonosopher from Orem, has been involved in reading, performing that poem every five years for the past 25 years. Well, we had the Masonic Temple book. We were going to blow it out with a thousand people, you know, six poets, musicians, and a giant audience. And that's all gone now. Yeah, that this yeah that's that's the that's, that's the sad uh, part of this. Uh, Paisley Recto, on the part of the conversation I didn't include in that segment, she talked about how uh, people are trying to find ways, you know, to, to posting yes. posting videos and and uh, yep. I guess uh, Zoom and uh, other things. I uh, with my musician friend Kate McLeod, she has produced ten editions of uh, my corny. Uh, poetry show for and book show for children. I've, I did 10 episodes, and I really ham it up, and I read everything from Alice in Wonderland to all of my favorite childhood books. We also have started filming on YouTube uh, a uh, what I call the Ammo Can Library, where I've distilled you know all these things I like to read aloud on from camping and river trips over the past 50 years into these two ammo cans that I pull out and read, sort of like we usually do one or two here on, on your show. And th- this is the way I've turned to do it. And and But back to Hal just for a second, it is the 65th anniversary, October 7th. Unfortunately, they picked that night for the vice presidential debate. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we are filming Alex Caldiero performing Hal on the 65th anniversary, and it will we will air it live on social media, Facebook, YouTube, through the KSRB channels, and many others, uh, on the evening of the exact night. It would be, it'll actually end up being a um, October 9th, but it'll be the Friday night like it was the very first time 65 years ago. And this is... This is probably this. This is a live film we've made of of Alex Caldio reading all four all four parts of how, and it is electrifying. It will air, so to speak, online on um, Friday, October 9th. One more event I'd like to plug, if I may. Yes, we will. We will be doing our first in-person event on um, the uh, October. 17th, is it? Which is Saturday, October 17th. Amy Irvine, the writer Amy Irvine, and the writer Pam Houston have discovered each other through the pandemic and have been writing a series of letters to one another for the past six months. And our friends down at Tory House Press uh, in southern Utah are publishing that letter, and they are doing a tour throughout September and October, a get-out-the-vote tour, and they will be coming here live. We're going to have them outdoors, regardless of the weather. We'll have tables and gloves and masks and social distancing, but by gum, we're going to have them live, and it's going to be a lot of fun. That's a a milestone, be able to to have an in-person event again. And that sounds like an interesting pairing, Amy Irvine and Pam Houston. Yeah. Yeah, Yes, it will be. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, well, Ken, let's uh, uh, before we go to break, and, and after break, we'll come back with uh, with segment with Catherine Coles, and I, I think you have another poem or two for us. Um, One more, um, uh, maybe your your appeal to, to fellow listeners: why why should folks uh, give to their their public radio station? 
it's really important in these unsettled and uncertain times to find something to believe in, something that has honesty and integrity, something that you like, something that you enjoy. Maybe it's something you listen to, like a radio station. UPR is statewide. It reaches nooks and crannies and small communities that are otherwise unserved. Not every small town in Utah, like Moab, can have their own radio station. It's important. It's a lifeline for news of the pandemic and the world around us, both in within the borders of our state and without. And UPR, you guys give voice to the voiceless. You give voices to people that don't have them. You've even been known to let me babble on the radio for crying out loud. If that, if the proof isn't in that. So regardless of myself, do it for UPR. UPR needs you. It's a symbiotic relationship. Just like we need clean air and clean water and clean earth and less greed and more cooperation and kindness, we need UPR. So donate. Donate on the phone. You you can do the spiel, Tom, but the phone, the Internet, there's all manner of creative ways to... You could even go old school and write them out a check and put it in the mail. I, I'm pretty sure they would take that. Yeah, all of those, all of those methods are very welcome. And uh, the one we're pushing today is uh, the website upr.org. Go to upr.org and uh, fill out the online form. Just a couple of minutes uh, out of your day, upr.org. And uh, we thank uh, John Wolf in uh, Moab, who has uh, called in. Thank you, John. John uh, says in the comments, we encourage you to put uh, whatever you'd like in the comments. He says, more science programming. Uh, so we'll keep that in mind, uh, John. And I, I, I know that's always popular when we put science uh, uh, things on Access Utah. Then we go along and forget. So thanks uh, for that reminder. Uh, we'll do some more science programming. And thanks for you for your support. Uh, Ken Sanders is with us, and we, uh, coming up we have segments from uh, recent episodes with Catherine Coles and Ginger Gaffney, and we'll have much more following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering news, politics, music, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. This is Science by the Slice. As the Great Salt Lake dries and Salt Lake City's growing population uses more energy, particulate pollution blowing across Utah's Wasatch Front is increasing. USU chemists are studying how these contaminants are dispersed through air and water, as well as where they're landing, including mountain snowpack. Researchers say contaminants spread over long distances and become a concern if they don't degrade. Some contaminants are toxic and accumulate in animal and human tissues. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in the sciences and mathematics. Details at usu.edu science.
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's a Member Drive special edition of the program. We're hearing uh, some segments from some favorite uh, recent episodes of the program, and we're spending the hour with Ken Sanders from Ken Sanders uh, Rare Books in Salt Lake City. Um, and uh, we encourage you to, uh, to take advantage of this uh, time to support Access Utah, to support Utah Public Radio in general. And uh, the place to go is upr.org, upr.org, upr.org. On that front page, you'll see a button, a donate. That'll take you to a pledge form. Take you a couple of minutes. You can see the thank you gifts there and uh, pledge whatever is comfortable for you. And we do really appreciate it. A, a big thank you in advance. Um, we, we appreciate it. Uh, so, uh, uh, Ken Sanders, uh, I know you you donate in the community. You uh, and and as you said, you you put your money where your where, I guess where where your heart is. Um, uh, I do, Tom, and as I usually do, thank you for the reminder. I will pledge right now a hundred bucks to to UPR. I don't want a thank you gift. I just want to. I, I, we have to pay it forward. You know. Yeah. Oh, well, well, thank you, Ken. I, I wasn't fishing for your for your no, donation there, <laughs> but but it thank you nonetheless. Reminder. Yeah, thank you nonetheless. Uh, maybe a, 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 another a reminder to your fellow listeners: why why should they join you in in supporting public radio? Well, we have to believe in something. Like John from Moab, he mentioned more science, and by gum in that little break there, you got a little science thing in. That was fast work. Yes, that's, um, that's true. Absolutely. More. Look, we, we sit on the edge of a unique lake in the world, like the Dead Sea. We have our own Dead Sea. It's called the Great Salt Lake. The history of it is absolutely fascinating. There were almost two dozen resorts on it at one time. Salt Air, the most famous one, was the Johnny Come Lately. It was practically the last one. The history of the lake, the whales that Brigham Young tried to breed there, the so you know the the um, um, the grave digger that was um, marooned on Antelope Island, never to be seen again. Dale Morgan's book, The Great Salt Lake, and it's under huge peril from extraction, mineral industries, drought, development. We need. We know. We haven't even scratched the surface. What we know about this giant, salty, dead sea puddle in our own backyard. So let's have some, some more shows about that. And there's a thousand other things that are important that UPR can elaborate and tell us those stories. And we need the stories. Maybe you don't care about the Great Salt Lake. We'll pick something else. There's, as I said, at least a thousand and one different other stories that UPR can cover and Access Utah will cover for us. And, and we need your voice. We need, especially in these uncertain times, we need knowledge. We need informa- information. We need to be informed. Thank you for that, Ken. Uh, the place to do that is our website, upr.org, upr.org. Your pledge will help uh, keep us on track. We're a little more than halfway through the member drive, and we're under halfway in, in the money. So um, we do it. We just, uh, you know, if, if you'll pledge right now, that'll that'll help keep us uh, get back and keep us on track, upr.org. Uh, so, Ken, I, I believe you have another poem. Would you like to do that now? Yeah, I, I, I mentioned earlier on uh, where, where we are uh, with filmmakers Trent Harris and Eric Temple. This is their veteran 
Utah filmmakers don't have time to go in their whole illustrious careers. Uh, they're collaborating for the very first time on a volunteer basis because we have no budget for this, and they're going to create the 65th anniversary film of Howl featuring Alex Caldiero. Uh, we will air it on social media, YouTube, Facebook, all this stuff I know anything about on Friday night, October 9th. We bumped it two days because of the vice presidential debates on the actual anniversary of October 7th. And again, thinking about all that, these things come to me. It's like the words flow out of me at 3 o'clock in the morning. Mostly, even if I write them down, I, I, this, is the first, this year, Tom, is the first time I've ever started reading my own writings out loud. I'm not sure what that means. It could mm. be as much of a curse as a blessing. Yeah, this year. Interesting. Yeah. Here yeah. goes. Okay. The look of beat with blessings to the still living. This is what beat looked like, she said, holding up a worn paperback of poetry indented with time, coffee-stained cover, dog-eared pages. Like looking into the ancient glittering eyes of a mostly dead old beat poet, his or herself. This is what beat looked like, she said, as if beat were something old, worn, and forgotten. I suppose, given her scant years, she at least thought she, that she was right. But what these crinkled eyes see is the tsunami wave coming out of the agitated waters of a post-World War II Pacific Ocean. A tsunami of fresh words riding the waves all the way from Japan, swamping the Yerba Buena Island. Words on paper from newly cut trees, the ink still as fresh as the ideas on the pages forged by the minds of the yet-to-be-named Beat Generation. Riding those waves straight into our third eyes and post-war zeitgeist. Holy, 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 oh, how for Ginsburg, Kerouac, and Burroughs, oh, how for Cassidy and Ferlinghetti, and Corso and De Prima, oh, how for Wachowski and Waldman and Whalen and Welch, oh, how for Metzger and McClure and Hunky and Solomon and Patchen and Rexroth, oh, how for Kiger and how for Snyder. How for all the pocket poets in their tattered paperback bodies monsooning across the waters of the Yerba Buena Island, unleashing a howl on the road across America and a never-ending naked lunch howl. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So, so just this year, you've been starting to perform your own poetry. Yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah, but I, <laughs> we don't we don't know that part yet. <laughs> I guess we'll we'll find out. Yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, Ken, let's let's jump into this. This is about six minutes uh, from my recent uh, conversation with Catherine Coles, who's former Utah Excellent. poet laureate, uh, also teaches at University of Utah. Uh, we checking in with various writers. We we checked in with Gretel Ehrlich, for example, and uh, with with uh, several uh, poets here in Utah. 
Um, so the conversation with uh, Paisley Rectal was in April, early in the pandemic, now you know, a little later in the pandemic. And it's kind of interesting to, to compare these these two conversations yeah. uh, as the pandemic sort of <laughs> wears us all down. Um, and, and so um, here is uh, my conversation from just a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was, with Catherine Coles. We've been talking uh, on this program with various artists and musicians, specifically about uh, about COVID, the the pandemic changes that we're we're all experiencing, the the stresses, the ups and downs, and how do we how do we cope? So that's where I want to start uh, briefly. Um, what, how's this been affecting you? Yeah, I mean it's interesting. It, it, my husband and I were just talking this morning because, of course, we had all but a hurricane. Um, on Tuesday, yeah, and and I think you guys got it possibly even worse than than we had it at the very northern edge of Salt Lake City. And uh, I was saying to him that I felt yesterday as if we had been walking this kind of tightrope and managing, but that that we were just managing, and that an additional stress was not what we needed. And I, and I think we felt yesterday really out of sorts and as if we've been thrown for a loop by something that in other circumstances we would have, you know, I mean, we had to get out the chainsaw and clear our driveway, uh, et cetera. But we would have kind of taken that in stride in a way that was very difficult to do this time around. Um, it feels like it's been a year of wonders, and I'm using wonder in the sense of, huh, um, as opposed to in the sense of the marvelous or miraculous. So, of course, we've had that, too, between um, COVID and the earthquake and uh, the weather events that we've that we've had. How about you? How are you guys doing up there? Uh, boy, it really resonates. Yeah, we, we got it pretty bad here. A lot of trees down and yeah. uh, a lot of chainsaws out. <laughs> and you know, that resonates yeah. with me. You talk about that sort of underlying stress, right? That uh, yeah. uh, if we have an emergency or whatever, we, we, we probably had more reserves going in, but it has been sapped by, by the pandemic and everything that's been going on. Uh, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do we deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that we're doing all the time is, is focusing on what we need to do and trying to repress that anxiety and that stress that's a kind of constant background noise for us. And I think mostly we do deal with it, but it's that you feel as if everything is more than enough. And when one more thing comes along, um, it's really just hard hard, hard to manage. And how do you deal with that is, I guess you just, you just do. And you become aware that um, all around the world, people are actually dealing with more than you are dealing with. Um, We're at least in a position of immense privilege. I'm doing my teaching uh, and mentoring from home, which is not perfect. And, and, uh, it's very difficult and requires a really a heightened level of attention um, to the students. But I have a roof over my head, and I have food, and I have a paycheck. Um, and not very far away from me in this town, people are much more precariously situated than I am. And then if you expand your imagination out into the world at large, 
even before the pandemic, there are a lot of people who are dealing with a lot more stress than we are. And um, I think that my students feel as if I'm at least paying attention um, and putting a lot of energy in their direction. And then the plus side is that we're just reading in that class wonderful poems together. We started with Sappho and um, we're on Bronte. We're going to be doing Emily Dickinson next week. And so to be able to have, to engage with an art form that is focusing our attention on what is pleasurable and what is beautiful and also what is emotionally complex, what lets in all these other emotions, fear and sorrow, grief, uh, is, I think, really powerful and something that, at least to me, is very helpful and it seems to be helpful for the students as well. Interesting. I was just going to go there. Um, so during okay. during pandemic times, or I guess during any regular times, what uh, maybe expand on that? What what does poetry do for you? What does poetry do for your, you know, the people you uh, write for, and that your students that you introduce uh, these poems to? So one of the things that I I say about good poems is that they travel across time and space and. I think you'll remember during 9-11, which some of my students weren't even born yet when that happened, but how all of a sudden everywhere, Auden's poem, September 1st, 1939, was being heard on the radio, um, et cetera. I read it on the radio on September 12th um, that year, and before we knew it, um, it was everywhere. People were quoting it. And it actually has resurfaced a couple of times since then, and it resurfaced as the pandemic came in, even though the imagery wasn't as directly applicable. And that's because it engaged a set of human emotions and anxieties that are present in catastrophe wherever catastrophe happens. So what a good poem does is provide the words that, as Mark Strand said, tell us in so many ways exactly where we are, wherever we are. Um, and therefore, it provides us with a space in which to, to look at and think about and handle and experience the full range of emotions that we have in a given situation. That's my recent conversation with Catherine Coles, former Utah Poet Laureate, uh, teaches at University of Utah. Current, uh, or the, the latest uh, collection of poems is called Wayward, with Catherine Coles. We have with us for the hour uh, Ken Sanders. And uh, Catherine Coles there also uh, you know, says that's uh, the way she processes is, is right for her writing uh, poetry and, and for her students uh, reading good poems. It helps them to process. Uh, and bless her for exposing those students to the fine poets that she knows. That's a really important work that, that teachers do. Uh, her, her parallel to 9-11 really strikes home with me, especially the comment, well, you know, she's teaching students now that weren't necessarily born when that occurred. So that takes me back to, you know, a momentous occurrence in my own childhood, November 22nd, 1963, and the assassination of John F. Kennedy in Dallas. Uh, Wendell Berry who published his first book, a novel, Nathan Calder, in 1960. And in November of 1963, he published a poem in The Nation uh, called November 25th, not 
just electrified the nation. So my question is whether it's 9-11, and it still has an enormous effect on me, but to generations that weren't born in 9-11 or in Question, important question, it, it, it especially was going through hard times again uh, here. Uh, well, Ken, uh, I wondered that um, I, I think uh, public radio listeners probably figure out that uh, whether or not uh, each individual uh, gives and <laughs> becomes a member, the service continues. That, that may not be indefinite. Uh, so I don't know. There is an element of altruism, but it also I guess you could you could call it some selfishness as, as well to, to take upon yourself um, the opportunity to to pay for the service that you consume. I wonder what your thoughts are. Absolutely, I, you know, as as we mentioned earlier, uh, with much recalcitrance, I did start this GoFundMe for Ken Sanders' rare books on July twenty fourth. It has been an overwhelming experience and a humbling experience for me to be on the receiving end. I'm not like public radio that you guys have, you guys and gals have to go to your to what public you do and beg for money, if you will, twice a year in order to stay alive. I'm not like that, Tom. I'm not accustomed to that. I'm accustomed, well, I just have authors, I have readings, I have art shows, I just do whatever the heck I want. That's because I'm stubborn and (laughs) pig-headed. But this is a whole new experience to me, and it's been a humbling one. And and one story, quick story I want to tell you, our first poet laureate, David Lee, I I asked a number of people to write, you know, kind of say nice things about me, which uh, David was happy to, to compile. And in his thing, he mentioned how much he thought of me in the bookstore and the concept of us not being around. He couldn't abide. He was going to donate, and he, in fact, mailed me a check for that amount. I won't say the amount of an entire week's worth of his drinking tab. (laughs) That's how much he cared about the bookstore. So if you, like David Lee, care about art and culture and science, in our very state, in our very communities, why don't you figure out what you're willing to sacrifice? A bar tab, the morning latte, whatever it is, whatever you can afford, why don't you pass it forward? And now's a great time to give it to Access Utah, Tom Williams, and Utah Public Radio. Here's how you do that, a fast and easy process. Go to our website, upr.org, upr.org. Click on the Donate button to bring up the pledge form, and it takes a couple of minutes, and uh, you'll, you'll, feel, you'll feel that sense of ownership uh, having done that. upr.org, upr.org. Well, Ken, we'll, we'll uh, end the program here with a, a little bit of a segment from uh, one of our most popular interviews. A lot of people resonated with this. Uh, Ginger Gaffney, a horse trainer uh, who got her MFA in riding, 
Um, and her memoir is called Half Broke. And uh, so she worked on an alternative prison ranch in New Mexico. Uh, wow. So, so they they paired uh, the residents of that uh, of prisons that uh, got into this program. Many of them battling drug and alcohol addiction, with a, uh, a herd of horses who had gone through their own troubles. And uh, Ginger Gaffney's job was to retrain, uh, you know, I guess, the horses, and and you, know, you have to train the people who are training them as well. And with time, the horses and residents formed a uh, profound bond and taught each other patience, control, and trust. And uh, Ginger Gaffney worked through her own problems there as well. Um, uh, I should just say at the beginning of this, uh, she mentions Belle, and Belle is her first horse, uh, Ginger Gaffney's first horse, a filly. Um, so we'll talk uh, here about uh, how uh, Ginger Gaffney grew up uh, trusting body language rather than language or any other uh, cues. We won't be able to hear all of this, but we'll hear a part of this uh, from uh, Ginger Gaffney. I still find it's difficult as an individual. I learned from Bell that they're each individuals, and uh, people who work with animals know this. You know, we, we cannot make them all the same thing, and some trainers try to. But my, my career has always been about meeting the individual horse. What are their issues? Um, what are their strengths? And try to really work inside that context instead of what I need them to be, you mm. know. And so Belle, Belle was my first horse in that way that taught me everything. And, of course, it was I had already known a lot about body language. Um, so working with horses for me is just a pretty natural thing. I can see things very quickly and I think that probably also helped me with my career with horses is I never had to learn how to listen with the body I already knew how to do it mm. you know do you, yeah. before we get into horses and you write fascinatingly about horses and interactions with humans uh, I do have this question you you grew up of uh, mm -hmm. trusting body language inter interaction with uh, you know your fellow human beings do you still do you mm -hmm. trust that more than than language yeah, I do. <laughs> mm -hmm. I still find it's a, it's a truth teller, you know. I, and you know, as you're talking with someone, and I mean, say you know, a very confident person is in front of you. And I was at the airport yesterday, and I saw this man walking down. You know, we were in Dallas, Fort Worth, and he was talking really loud, and he was walking really big and um, gesturing loudly and on his phone. And the the only thing I saw was how sad he looked, like. He, I, I kept, I looked at him, and he was all these things that the world thought he was. He was showing, you know, his confidence, and I had the overwhelming feeling of sadness. And I, those are the kinds of things. Now I can't tell you why he's that or what I, I could, what I saw, but I saw it, and I saw the compensation. And um, I think that's what we do as humans, because we're all coming from something, right? We all come from some pain and some some joy and from different places in our lives that have taught us what our story is and they come through our bodies and I can feel that in people so quickly and I have a lot of compassion I don't really um, have any issues with people because I have so much more compassion for what they're the the story behind the story you know what we are in terms of our physical presence and what we present to the world and then there's the story behind that story and um, uh, I can feel it. I can see it. Um, so I go, I go on that. That's my first go-to, you know, yeah. my, is what happens when I see somebody. Hmm. Now, this, is skipping, yeah. this is skipping ahead. 
Uh, much more there, and you can uh, find the, this interview at our website, upr.org. Uh, the same place to go to uh, to pledge your support to Utah Public Radio. Uh, Junior Gaffney goes on. Uh, it, it's it's fascinating book, and uh, she talks about how um, the the, uh, the these uh, folks who have a drug and alcohol addiction uh, paired with these troubled horses, they they help each other, and it's uh, it's it's just a fascinating book. It's called Half Broke. Ginger Gaffney is uh, is the author. Just an example of the kinds of things we do on Access Utah: politics, arts, uh, books, uh, the, you know, all kinds of things. We have a lot of coverage of the elections coming up. Of course, we'll have all the debates in Utah. We'll have the national debates as well. We'll have uh, coverage of election night, which. In this case, might turn into election month. We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, all of that is supported by you at upr.org. Uh, Ken Sanders, just have a minute or two left uh, in in the program. Um, I get maybe your final appeal to our listeners. Well, you know, Daphne's uh, narrative takes me back to my own wayward cowboy youth. The SRS Ranch up in Camas, Utah, had a registered quarter horse mare. She had power steering. I wasn't the one trained her. You, you had to at least learn how to ride well enough to stay on the horse. So it really, it brings those memories back to me and about there, there is, there can really, really be an intimate, nonverbal mostly, uh, relationship between a human and a horse and the nonverbal communications she's talking about and the bonds that really, really strikes home with me and brings back fond memories of my, my, as I said, my wayward cowboy youth. So however we access, I wouldn't know about her with and half broke, and I especially love the deliciousness of the, the title. Uh, I can really relate to that. I wouldn't know about her and this program without you and Access Utah on Utah Public Radio. There's so many things I don't know. I'm old enough to realize that that list is ever-growing, and half of what I knew I've forgotten, and COVID's eaten my brain and memory for the rest of it. So I'm going backwards fast, so don't let that happen to you. Let me be a bad example. Donate now to Access Utah and utahpublicradio.org. So what happens to me, the poor, broken-down, former cowboy I am, that you keep your brain, that you keep COVID away, and you keep pumping fresh knowledge and information in there instead of half-lives, half-lies and half-truths and the rest of the nonsense that we're being otherwise force-fed. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. The place to go is upr.org, upr.org. Ken Sanders, it's, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much. You never know what's going to come out of my mouth, Tom, till I say it. I don't. <laughs> Makes it exciting. Thank you. <clears throat> Appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Access Utah.